Welcome to Creative on Purpose Live. These conversations are about flying higher and endeavors that make a difference. Do the work that you're meant to do now. It's time to be creative on purpose. Are you ready? Let's go. I'm your host, Scott Perry, author of Endeavor and Chief Difference Maker at Creative on Purpose. Learn more about me and my work and grab your copy of the Creative on Purpose handbook today at creativeonpurpose.com. Let's meet today's guest. Sean Askinosi, welcome to the broadcast. Please tell our viewers who you are, what you're up to these days, and where they can connect with you to learn more. Well, thank you for uh, having me here, uh, who I am. Well, uh, my day job is a chocolate maker, and uh, I am, uh, what I'm up to these days is, I would say, characterized by survival, surrender, and struggle, all mixed in together, um, depending on the minute. So we'll see what the next few minutes bring, but um, that's what I'm up to. I love it. Well, let's, uh, I, wanted, I want to unpack each of those three things a little bit. But before um, we do that, just, I, I'm really fascinated by just to learn more about the origin story of Askinosi chocolates. What, and curious in particular, if chocolate was already a passion that you turned into a meaningful endeavor, or if you got in through some sort of backdoor sideways. I was a criminal defense lawyer for 20 years before I started this business, and I specialized in serious felony cases, murder, robbery, drugs, those kinds of things um, in federal and state court. And uh, I was ready for a change. I just didn't know what it was going to be. I spent five years on a very circuitous path while I was still practicing law, searching for the next thing. And I landed on chocolate. Didn't really always have a lifelong passion for chocolate at all. Um, but I knew I wanted to do something different. My body and mind were sort of giving me the message. I was ready for something else. And uh, so I've done this chocolate business for almost 15 years. And um, it's very small. It's a small family business. Uh, we only have about 20 employees full time. Um, and of course, that's in a state of flux right now, given our current situation. But um, yeah, so that's it. Interesting. So, what 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 was the the, the means that landed you in, in in chocolate? The means. Well, you can imagine as a very hard charging, ambitious, driven lawyer that I spent most of my time either preparing for the courtroom or in the courtroom cross examining people. That I approached my next endeavor with the same level of intensity, and what I learned is that that was not working for me. Um, I thought I could uncover every stone and research everything and talk to all the people and find all the answers. And I did that for almost five years and it drove me to a very high level of anxiety and depression. And um, ultimately what I, I could say sort of in a nutshell that led me to chocolate was I did something that was counterintuitive. I didn't even know it at the time. I just kind of followed my sort of inner voice and I started working in the uh, palliative care department of a local hospital as a volunteer on Fridays, visiting patients who were dying. And um, I did that for almost five years. And um, sort of paradoxically, that just, um, it created a space in me that I didn't even know existed, but I learned that I needed. And that sort of gave me a place where I could contemplate my future 
Mm-hmm. And uh, that's when chocolate sort of came into my um, dashboard, so to speak. Really, really fascinating. I'm always really, well, I'm not surprised any longer because it happens so much, but you know, it's very rare that somebody comes on this broadcast and says, well, I always wanted to be, and so I became. It's always, I was unsatisfied with what I was doing. I didn't want know what I want to do next. And through serendipity and, you know, just dogged persistence <laughs> in looking, they, they end up finding purpose and passion through just simply engaging in whatever work is happens to be right in front of them. The other thing that... Um, leaps to mind is you said something that I think is really important to share with people that are contemplating like some vocation or some side hustle or passion project, which is not quitting your day job, you know, without having a clear, clearly established and successful side gig. So, you know, there's nothing absolute, I don't think anything wrong with doing the work that you have to do while you're investigating and developing the the work that you get to do. And I just really appreciate you highlighting that. So you mentioned survival, surrender, and struggle. And so, I mean, these are inherent in meaningful work, regardless of the situation we we happen to be in personally or globally. Give us some of your insights and just, you know, how you're embracing uncertainty and navigating adversity in in the moment that we're in now in April of 2020. One of the things I've always said, I hear people, I've heard people often talk about work-life balance. I've never known what that was. And I used to sort of think that I had to, for some reason, aspire to that. I don't believe that anymore. I don't really even know what that means. I just think it's all mixed in together called life. And so I would say that, um, you know, part of this is a professional um, struggle. That is, I, I, uh, I want to make sure that I keep people employed. I want to have as great an understanding as I possibly can of what um, the future looks like for my business. And so I'm, because I survived the, the recession of 08 as a chocolate maker, I have some... Um, learned skills in cash flow management that I've been applying all these years. And, and so I'm using that now to sort of navigate the best we can. And I would say that that has been, uh, I, I've had a, I think a, a great deal of clarity um, and not second guessing decisions that we're making regarding this true um, uncertain future that we face as a business. I would say on a personal level, kind of mixed in with that is the way I've been navigating this is by deepening the practices that I had before this started. One of the tendencies I think that people have, including me, is, and in fact, it happened this morning. I woke up and I was like, I slept a little bit later. I'm the only person in the office. We're an exempt business under the uh, law right now. And so our factory, our we've been operating with a very small crew. My office is three doors down from the factory. I'm the only one here. I woke up late and I thought, I'm not going to do my thing this morning. I'm not going to do my prayers. And, and I think a lot of people can get into that sort of mindset, but I pushed myself to, to do it and to say, even though I woke up late, doesn't matter, do my thing. So I did it and it, I got here late. And I, and, and so the reason I'm mentioning this is because 
I think for those people who have some, any kind of practice, it's, and I have found personally that it's very beneficial to not stop and perhaps even deepen that practice. And that has, the reason I'm mentioning it in, in context with cash flow is because the interconnectedness between my spiritual practice um, and cash flow are inseparable. So those two things are wound up together so tightly that um, I couldn't separate them if I wanted to. And uh, so that's what I would say. And um, I've also been trying to develop a kind of awareness of my own fears, my own struggles. And I have found that to be very challenging and but yet I'm trying to develop it and so I think over the last month or so that I have had a higher degree of awareness of these struggles and fears and anxieties and that is helping me just uh, just the awareness of it alone and then I also try to um, not really have a a steep judgment of my um, quote success or lack thereof and saying to myself, this isn't working. I prayed this morning. I meditated this morning and I feel terrible right now. Why is this, why is my, you know, 20 year practice not coming to roost and helping me? And why do I not feel lighter? And where did all that go? So I'm not doing that. I did do that in the beginning of this, but you know, I phoned a friend, which is what I encourage people to do and, and, and uh, mentors and teachers. And, and so the reason why I think that's very counterproductive is because this, this is unfolding. So it, it's continuing day by day and hour by hour to unfold uh, professionally, personally, spiritually, physically. And so I don't think now is the time to really step out of this slow motion thing that's happening and assess the level of success that I'm having at my practice. Mm. That can come later. Yeah. So much good stuff to, to so, a lot of threads to pull on. I'm going to pull them one at a time and you can just add any additional insights. So I share your, your assessment that, um, about the delusion of work-life balance. It's something that I beat myself up a lot with over all of my, you know, I'm a husband and I'm a father, I'm a teacher, I'm a musician, and I kept feeling like I had to get all these buckets equally filled. Very stressful, lots of self-loathing, lots of self-shaming. And it wasn't until, you know, as I even got busier by becoming a coach in Seth Godin's programs and create, you know, building this enterprise, I realized that the solution for me was I, I just have to show up as Scott Perry. Like I'm an integrated human being. I happen to be a father and a husband and a guitar player and a guitar teacher and a coach and have my own business. And wherever I go, if I just show up as the same guy in each of those things, I'm that's, that's balance <laughs> that works for me. Well, and I, I would add too, I would, I would, I would, uh, we could bring in Thomas Merton and I would say, you know, Merton would say that Scott Perry's true self is this 
um, you know, created soul that is not necessarily identified as a musician or as a father or husband. And same for me, you know, my identity is not chocolate maker. My identity is that's my true self. Mm. And so I think that um, it's important to remember that these other things are things that we do, some of them, you know, to feed our families or to make a living, but they're not really, quote, who we are. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. We are not defined by what we do. We're defined by who we are, which really comes down to core values and guiding principles and um, um, that sort of thing. So I, I really appreciate um, those additional thoughts. I also really was struck by what you t said about this idea that you kind of, the, my uh, restatement of it is this idea of confident, confidence that's earned through skills developed over time through experience. Like, you know, we, we have lived up until the present moment in a world that seems to really reward over, overconfidence, certainty, and, and judgment about things that were never really truly certain <laughs> or able to, you know, standing up to scientific um, kind of scrutiny. And now that field has, you know, now it's been made very apparent that there is actually nothing that is certain. Um, and so, but Yet, you know, people like you and I and our mutual friend Seth Godin and many, many others are stepping into this, you know, embracing the uncertainty, navigating the anxiety, and continuing to put forth their best effort to do meaningful work with and for the people that they care about with the idea that we, we can get through this and perhaps even get through it better and better off than, than we entered it. Um, that was just like a, a kind of a thumbnail sketch of, of what I was hearing. Any, any additional thoughts on, on how you think about doing that, paying attention to who's right in front of you and, you know, well, deciding I, what to do next? I think, yes, I think, um, I think you raised a really good point. I like the way you articulated that because what I've been saying is for those of us who have any age on us or any experience, we hope that we've been training for this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember, gosh, maybe a month ago, I talked to Seth about this very thing and said, you know, we have this muscle memory that we need to now rely on in the midst of darkness. And, you know, this is a pilot when confronted with, you know, sort of a disoriented um, workspace is going to rely on his or her training and to some extent muscle memory and what I mean one of the things that we want to be able to do is to take a deep breath and just exhale take a minute and let this training kick in you know like you said I mean there when we were talking a moment ago about true self and th this there is an essence of us and a core of us that wrote all these mission statements and guiding principles and beliefs. And well, now is the time for us to take this opportunity to live them out and to rely on our training and to, and to begin to execute those things because we know it's the right thing to do. That's why I mentioned earlier, I'm not second guessing these business decisions right now. Um, I have felt, 
a lot of stress before. I mean, you can imagine in a death penalty murder trial. I mean, I know what it feels like. Um, and so, but I also have experience in just letting my training take its course. Mm-hmm. And this is what I'm doing now. So I'm not second guessing. I'm doing the best that I can with the information that I have. And, and this is really important, I and many others have we've we try to live by um, a, we try to live with a certain degree of purity in heart. We we try we aspire on this side of eternity. Um, we we it's our aspiration. And so if we've lived any measure of a life with just call it trying to do the right thing messing up and getting back up, dusting ourselves off, then the, 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 the amount of second guessing that happens in times like these is diminished. Mm-hmm. That's, what I, that's what I think. Yeah, well, I love that metaphor of being in training. I've, you know, I've been a student of Stoic philosophy since I was a seventh grader, so like 1976. And that's their metaphor, like like you seek uncertainty and adversity because it tests your training, it tests your development, and it allows you to to, to develop yourself. And of course, the Christian faith and the um, Stoicism kind of were flourishing at, at about the you know mm-hmm. at about the same time. And obviously, there was a lot of back and forth in the thinking and the principles and practices. And so, you know, when when we think, I mean, the whole purpose of character, the whole purpose of excellence of character is that it's a work in progress and you can't know where you are until it's tested. Um, So I love that idea. I also love something that you just said about, you know, this idea of not second guessing your decisions, but which means that you're a person that makes decisions. And, you know, I think in the moment that we're in, and even just if you're engaged in meaningful work, um, it's easy to, um, to let the, 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 the lizard brain or, you know, our, the, our fight or flight instinct to kick in, like something happens and we either want to run away and hide or we want to lash out. And it's always far better to do neither of those things, but to just pause for a minute, take a look objectively at what's going on. And then, but then you have to decide amongst all the choices, any one of which may be right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, well, they're not right or wrong. They're, you know, they're just simply choices and choices want to be chosen and you have to decide and then you have to act, which puts you into a new situation where you have to <laughs> look at the choices and, and, um, and, and, and make a decision and, and step forward. And I just love that because it ties into something you said earlier, which is this idea you didn't say it quite this way, but you were talking about like being in motion, like taking action, not not sitting still and, you know, getting inert and, you know, hum, being humble and hiding in this moment, like being a person that's in motion, taking action. I, I don't, I'd be interested in your reflection on this. To me, when in doubt, you must do something just because anxiety doesn't really like to having to keep up with a moving target. And one of the best ways that you can make yourself less anxious is to surround yourself with others and be heading in a direction where you think, you know, you might be heading towards something better. I agree. I, and I do think that, um, 
making decisions and executing and looking, you know, not looking away and not hiding, taking those very, I mean, look, we're talking about people whose lives are affected, who, you know, work for our company and, and farmers that I work with around the world that I've known for, you know, many, many years who are very vulnerable. Um, so these are, these are very real decisions um, that make no mistake. I don't take them lightly. What I'm saying is, is that I have, I have confidence in the decisions that I'm making, that it's the best that I can do with what I have. I will also say too, I, I will say as well that making decisions and movement and action can also become its own form of addiction and uh, in this moment and a dis well or a distraction let's say it's a distraction that we become addicted to because it makes us feel better it makes us feel as though we have some control over external circumstances that we really have no control over i'm sure this the stoics would have something to say about this and um, and so i think that it's very nice to harmonize or weave into this moment of action, um, surrender and stillness. Um, and I think if we have a practice of surrender and stillness, it can fit very nicely with these things we're talking about in terms of um, action and decision-making. And uh, the reason why I, th I think surrender is important because it's a it's a recognition of the fact that we really, there's so much we really have no control over and to not sort of um, um, fall into this illusion that we have control when we don't. And so, especially for my, myself, you know, as I, I have prided myself on the ability to, you know, go through something and to work and to go right through it and to face it. But it's also, I, I myself have, really aspired to and continue to, and, and I struggle with this, but I, is this idea of surrender. And so it's a, I have incorporated that into my practice and my morning practice and my meditation, and my prayer, and it's hard. It's really hard, but I think it's very important and especially in a moment like this. Yeah. Just reminded me of the, I can't remember which Robert Frost poem it is where he says the only way out is through <laughs> and uh, and it is hard, which is an indication that it's worth it to me. I mean, if it were easy, everybody would do it and we'd all be, um, you know, we'd all be sages and and, and saviors. You you um, you touched on two things that I want to make sure we get in as we're, you know, kind of approaching the end of our half hour together. The first is you said something I want to, it's, it's wrapped up into this idea of, of surrender. Cause we we've had been having this discussion in the creative on purpose community about the idea of surrender. It's a term that often has like a, a negative connotation th thinking that it means passivity, which it really does not. It's just to speak to your point, there are some things that are within our control and others are not. The things that are within our control generally are just how we choose to see things and what we decide to do and, and then do. Everything else is outside of our control, which is not an excuse to just sit and wait for life to happen to you, but recognize that life happens through you, through the decisions you make with intention and integrity after a pause to make sure that you're doing the right thing. But the hardest thing that I think that people that are engaged in really meaningful work and who do that work with and for others is 
to your point about being productive and, and outcomes, we get really wrapped up in the outcomes and the results when, again, we don't really control that that's what happens. And we don't give ourselves enough credit for the quality of our effort, especially when we fail and have in this something else that you wove in earlier, this idea of self-empathy. Like, yes, it's important that we see, hear, and understand the people around us. But, and most of us will, would say, yes, I'm very good at that. Um, but if I were to get into your head and listen to the self-talk, I'd probably find that you're not very empathetic with yourself. And I mean, just globally, anybody. Um, so I just, I, you know, just as we're coming to an end, I'd love to hear just another thought or two about that idea of self-empathy and that idea that effort is the reward and the outcomes take care of themselves. The, uh, one of my favorite books, and um, I, I'm a family brother at a Trappist monastery about two hours from here, and, and uh, they recommended a book to me years ago called The Joy of Full Surrender by Jean-Pierre de Cassade. Um, he was an 18th century French Catholic monk um, who really resembles um, a Zen philosopher um, more than a Catholic theologian. But um, I, so I agree with you that this notion of surrender is sometimes seen as weakness, but I love the title of this book because there is truly joy in surrender. And there is truly, truly joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of the darkness. Um, poet philosopher John O'Donohue, I love him, you know, writes beautifully about this notion that we're talking about. He calls it threshold. Mm. It's, not, it's, it's not here and it's not there. It's, it's a threshold and we are in a threshold. And so I think that we can take, um, there's, a, there's a way for us to moment by moment experience joy in the middle of this mystery and not wait for the end result in order to find this joy, comfort, healing, finality. There, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are saying, either business people, entrepreneurs, just people who are saying, I can't wait until this is over. I can't wait until we go back to normal. Or, and look, I'm, I'm right there. But what I'm praying for for myself is that, um, as you said in the Robert Frost poem, that I, that I allow myself to go through it without holding my breath. Because I don't think we have, I don't think we can hold our breath that long. <laughs> I just don't think we can. And so what I want to be able to do is take, I want to be able to just take some breaths in the threshold, in the darkness, in the valley of the Paschal mystery. I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not saying I'm great at it. I'm, I'm, I'm confessing that I'm an aspirant. You know, I mm -hmm. want to do this. And that's what I'm trying to do. Because as you said, the joy isn't over there. It's here. It's right now. That's yeah. what that's what it is. No matter where we are, I see. I just talked to my farmers in Tanzania two days ago, and believe me, we can talk another hour about how do they find joy in the midst of tragedy and sorrow. Yes, they do. I've seen it for the last fifteen years, and so I have a lot to learn from them. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to apply in this situation that we're in right now. Yeah, I love that, and it's interesting 
that you said the author of that book, you know, almost had a, that Zen sound. Because one of the things that I've been finding as I, you know, I grew up Catholic and I've been studying Stoicism for a long time. I've had a deep interest in Eastern philosophy. You know, the, we're, all, the, we're all talking about the same thing. And exactly. we're all arriving at more or less the same com- conclusion that, you know, we need to treat each other and ourselves, you know, well, the, the golden rule. And, um, you know, mindfulness, uh, presence, uh, non-attachment, you know, these are things that are present really in, in every tradition. But I, I just want to conclude by just really highlighting your point, which is very, very true of the Stoic tradition, very, very true of the Christian tradition and any other tradition that, that, that I can think of, which is joy is not found in the external or in the results that the Christian faith and Stoicism insists that you can experience joy in any situation or circumstance. And, you know, if Viktor Frankl can find it just, you in, know, in his, know. in his, you know, experience as a concentration camp yes. a prisoner, um, then we can find it in this, in this moment that we're in. It really boils down to um, taking care of ourselves and each other and approaching what we decide to do next with it, that level of intention and integrity. And I, I just, you know, I, I'm pretty much a delusional Pollyanna uh, optimist about our prospects, acknowledging that there will be suffering, acknowledging that there will be loss for sure. That's always present, but it just seems like um, this, is a, this is a moment for us all to really lean into together uh, and come together. Um, and maybe actually not go back to normal, but actually create a new normal that's better than the one that we left. Sean Askinosi, oh my goodness, we packed so much into 30 minutes, I can't hardly believe it. I do have one last question. Um, so I end every broadcast with this question of, you know, what's one, just one tip, one piece of advice that you'd leave listeners with to help them fly higher in whatever endeavor that they aspire to do or that they wish to level up in? I'd say meditate, contemplate, pray if you do that on um, being shown someone who needs you, that someone who needs you um, is revealed in your life. Mm. Maybe it's in your family or your work colleague or a friend and roll up your sleeves and serve that person. And that's even sort of counterintuitive because you yourself might be struggling in fear and some of the things we talked about, just trying to survive. Um, but I believe that this is a way forward. Um, this, this is the path. So ask that someone who needs you be put in your path and um, the universe will work with you to serve that person and you will find joy in that. Lovely. What a great way to end. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Sean Askinosi and I appreciate you lending us some of your valuable time and attention, and we hope that today's broadcast motivates you to lean into an endeavor that matters with greater curiosity and courage. You can learn more about Sean and his work at, what's the website, Sean? It's askinosi.com, A-S-K-I-N-O-S-I-E.com. Fantastic. And as always, of course, great to see you when you come to visit creativeonpurpose.com. And now go out and make a difference and keep flying higher. Sean Eskinosi, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you.